Joey, thank you for the intro like always. July the 12th, 2019, another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Friday into Saturday, by the time most of you will be listening to this. We'll be doing lots of these probably more frequent podcasts throughout the summer because of Saratoga, Del Mar, the horse racing. There's a lot more opportunities to wager on, so... We'll get lots of these uh, podcasts where we'll talk some sports at the beginning, talk whatever's going on in the world of news, pop culture, and then some horse racing stuff at the end. So in this particular pod, talk a little baseball. We're going to do an MLB deep dive on the National League. On the previous episode, we did a deep dive on the American League, went through every team and how their first half was. We're going to do the same thing for the National League here. Then we're going to get to horse racing. We'll also update you on the best baseball movies bracket. It's down to the Elite Eight. And then in horse racing, Arlington Park stakes races this weekend. We're going to have a couple plays at Arlington, a play at Saratoga, a couple plays at Indiana Grand, and we'll talk about a race at Los Alamitos and a race at Delaware Park. Then, some Big Little Thoughts, two episodes to recap of Big Little Eyes, episode four and episode five, and then to close things out, we'll give you a little heads up, the big wrestling shows coming up this weekend, there are actually three wrestling shows, first on Saturday, it's Fight for the Fallen, AEW, there's an Evolve show that the WWE Network will be streaming, and then the following night, it'll be WWE Extreme Rules. Let's get right into the recent news it never stops in in the uh, in the NBA anymore. It just does not stop. And now, after the big news of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George coming to the Clippers, we now find out that Russell Westbrook has been traded from Oklahoma City to Houston for Chris Paul and a 2024 and a 2026 first round draft pick. Also, pick swaps in 2021 and 2025. I had a uh, Asked you out there, ran a poll, what do all of you think about this trade? Love it, Houston's better, they'll be the same, or it'll never work worse. 43% of you said love it, Houston will be better. 12% said they'll be the same. 45% said it'll never work worse. I think that's where I fall. Now, I think this will be a fine regular season team. I think they'll be probably like a top four, top five team in the West. But I do not think they are going to be a team in the playoffs that is going to be better. I don't like the fit with Russell Westbrook on Houston as much as I do with Chris Paul. Because Chris Paul is a much better shooter. I think he can play off the ball a lot better than Russell Westbrook can. Will we get better defense from Westbrook? We'll see. We'll see. Will he defer to Harden sometimes? Or is he going to be stubborn? Westbrook's going to be making $47 million at the end of this deal. That's between Chris Paul and Westbrook swapping two of the biggest probably worst contracts in sports as far as you know they're not necessarily top 5 players and they're getting paid like it on this day on June the 12th June the 12th did I say June July the 12th I hope I didn't say June <laughs> to be kidding July the 12th July the 12th uh 1679 the habeas corpus act was ratified, allowing prisoners the right to be imprisoned and to be the, the prisoners the right to be imprisoned to be examined by a court before. That's huge in our society. 
1790, the French Revolution, the civil constitution of the clergy is adopted, putting the Catholic Church in France under the control of the state. Throughout history, we hear a lot about the separation of church and state. 1804, former United States Secretary of the Treasury Alexander Hamilton dies after being shot in a pistol duel by Vice President Aaron Burr, who shot Alexander Hamilton. Aaron Burr! Aaron Burr! Aaron Burr! 1957, the U.S. Surgeon General connects smoking with lung cancer. They're able to tie the two together. 1962, the Rolling Stones' first performance, the Marquee Club in London. 1976, the first Family Feud game show debuts on ABC, hosted by Richard Dawson. 1998, the World Cup final. Zinedine Zidane scored twice as France wins their first World Cup, beating Brazil 3-0. On this day, famous July 12th in history. One of the most stressful events in life is moving. Everything that goes into the process of relocating. There are so many different factors that you have to worry about. I know someone who can make your life easier, and I'm very happy to introduce Cindy Carava as a sponsor of That's What G Said podcast. If the name sounds familiar, Cindy is the wife of horse racing trainer Jack Carava, who has been a mainstay on the Southern California racing circuit for the last 30 years. Cindy Carava is a full-service realtor that can help you in many different ways, like selling, purchasing, and leasing. She can help you find vendors like handymen, painters, landscapers, gardeners that she personally uses in her own home. Also, if you need help with getting pre-approved for a home loan, Cindy can connect you to lenders that she works closely with and can highly recommend. Covering all parts of the San Gabriel Valley and parts of North San Diego County, Del Mar, Solana Beach, and Rancho Santa Fe. If you're just curious to see how much your home is worth, she can even do a free market analysis of your home's value. You can find Cindy on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, reviews about her on Yelp and Zillow, or the easiest way, cindycarava.com, where you can find all of her contact information. I've known her personally for almost a decade. She is one of the most honest and genuine people I've ever met. Exactly the type of person you can trust with any of your real estate needs. Get to cindycarava.com right now. That's C-A-R-A-V-A. Or if you have any questions at all, you can email her. cindyc.realtor at gmail.com. Mrs. Carava, I know she's a big baseball fan and she loves the baseball movies. When she saw we were doing a field of 64 bracket, she mentioned four of her favorites. A League of Their Own, The Sandlot, Moneyball, and Field of Dreams. And guess what? Mrs. C, all four of those are still left in the Elite Eight. So we started out with the That's What G Said podcast, best baseball movies bracket, 64 baseball movies, and now we are down to eight. We had a couple upsets early on, but all of the ones in the two seeds made it to the Elite Eight. So I'm not going to pat myself on the back or anything, but that's a back pat. can Can you hear that back pat? I mean, I seeded these movies pretty damn well, did I not? All the ones and twos. So in the top bracket, Bull Durham versus Moneyball. We then have Major League versus the Bad News Bears. The Natural versus Field of Dreams. And the Sandlot versus a league of their own. Eight of the best baseball movies ever. Perhaps the best eight, honestly. Uh, Some of the all-time greats. So make sure, head on over to Twitter. Follow me at It's Me Gino B on Twitter and make sure 
to check out all the polls and get involved and vote anytime you see some of the uh, the polls up there. So like next week will be best boxing movies. Uh, coming coming up in a few weeks, we'll have football movies, and then at the end, we're gonna do a miscellaneous sports movies for some of the good sports movies that don't necessarily have enough to be a whole category, right? There's a lot of movies that I want to get in there that that uh, I don't think we'll have uh, enough for like a bobsledding category, right? But we got to get cool runnings in there some way, shape, or form, and uh, you know some arm wrestling and wrestling in general. Oh, there's there's gonna be a wrestling category for sure. That that one that one. Is is a no doubter. So, thanks to everyone for uh, for voting and playing along in the best baseball movies. Let's get into some real baseball and let's get to the National League. Let's start with the NL East. Braves atop the NL East, fifty four and thirty seven. They have a ninety six point four percent chance to make the playoffs right now after a twenty and eight record in June. They are now up six and a half games in the division. Keuchel, Dallas Keuchel, they made the trade. Uh, they they acquired Dallas Keuchel. It wasn't a trade. He was just a free agent. I feel like it was a trade because they acquired him so long into the season. But he's only had four starts now. But now a 3.6 ERA and a 1.28 WHIP. It's going to take him a little while to get into the game shape. And if you add Keuchel with Max Freed and Julio Tehran and Mike Soraka, because you know that Freed and Tehran are starting to tire a bit. They've done a good job carrying the Braves through the first half. Yeah, you add Keuchel with Freed, with Tehran, with Soraka. They still seem like they're a, an arm or two away. I think they need another starting pitcher. There are going to be plenty of starting pitchers on the market, it looks like. And, and they're going to need another bullpen arm. There are going to be a lot of teams that are out there vying for those bullpen arms. So they have to be very smart and be very careful where they're looking. I just don't know about Luke Jackson. He has six blown saves. I have him on my fantasy team. He's a shaky closer. I really don't feel like he's a lockdown type closer for a team like the Braves who are very good with the moves that they've made, with the lineup that they have. This team is a legitimate World Series contender if they can go right now and get one or two more pitchers. One more starting pitcher. If they make the move for a Bumgarner, if they're able to go out and uh, and get a Wheeler, uh, who probably won't be traded within the division, um, you know there are going to be some options for starting pitchers out there. Boyd is another one that that gets discussed. They have to make a move because Kuna Jr., Albies, Freeman, Swanson, Marcakis, Donaldson, and now Austin Riley—they're getting solid production from their catchers with McCann and Flowers. They, as a team, hit 277 in June. They have three players with over 100 hits and two more with 90. This is a very good offense. What will be key for them? Seven of their next 18 games against Washington. The national teams that is the Nationals team that is chasing them that is six games, six and a half games behind them. They also have 14 games. Yeah, 14 games total left with the Nationals and seven of the next 18. So tons of time for Washington to make up some ground, but the Braves can really, very early on in the next few weeks, maybe end this division race if they're able to to win those games against Washington. And let's move to Washington. I loved Washington as a team I thought was going to win this division before the season started. They went out and got Corbin. I thought their pitching would be too good for them to ever have a bad streak. And that was not the case. They were awful to start the season. And on May the 23rd, they were 19 and 31. 
Since then, they've gone 28-11. and 11. They're six games back of Atlanta. They are actually the top wildcard team. And they have a better record than the entire NL Central, which could come up huge. They are projected to have the second best record in the in the National League in the second half. When I mention the projections, I'm the ones in, I'm talking about. This case are fan graphs. If you want to go to fangraphs.com, they do a great job. It's like an analytical website where they just give you, you know all sorts of different projections, and you can really get deep into specific player stuff, team stuff, stats, anything anything you want to find. It's a really good website. So Fangraphs thinks that they're going to be the second best team in the National League the rest of the way. The Nationals. You know, they still have 14 games left with the Braves. And it really all turned. There's a key date for the Nationals when you go back and look at how their first half of the season was. The key date for them is May the 17th. On May the 17th, Soto was hitting 240. Since then, from May 17th till now, 354 with 9 home runs, 32 RBIs, 452 on base percentage, and 30 walks. So now overall, he's up to 300 with 15 home runs and 56 RBIs on the season. Rendon hitting over 300 with 20 home runs and 62 RBIs. And then they were banged up, this team, early on. Offensively, they were not getting much from Soto. Scherzer was not pitching well. Trey Turner was hurt. So when three of the players that are supposed to be the most impactful players and the best players on your team are giving you nothing or very little, you're not going to be a good ball club. But how about that same day, May the 17th? That's the day Trey Turner came back. So you get Trey Turner back. All of a sudden, Soto starts hitting. He's hitting 354 since that very same day. Max Scherzer, since May the 17th, nine games started, 64 innings pitched, .84 ERA, 94 strikeouts and nine walks, 40 hits given up, and six runs. It's 64 innings pitched. Unbelievable numbers from Scherzer. They're a very good baseball team all around, except for their bullpen. They have one of the worst bullpen ERAs ever. It is now over six. It is dead last in all of baseball. Not the National League, dead last in all of baseball. This team's been able to get by though with the production from Rendon, from Soto, from their pitching staff, and you're getting average production from Robles, from Eaton, from Dozier. But when you have Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin at the top of your rotation, you're in great shape. And Scherzer is now at a 2.30 ERA with a .98 WHIP and 181 strikeouts, a true ace that leads your rotation. I think the Nationals are set up very well for a strong second half, and I. Don't really feel the same for the Phillies. They're 47 and 43. They're six and a half games behind Atlanta in the division. They have a 23% chance to make the playoffs. Aaron Nola, he's started to pick things up. He was pretty bad early in the season. And you know, you you figure that he's a top-tier pitcher now. Perennial, you expect him to be a perennial Cy Young candidate. Now he has a 3.74 ERA, a 1.3 whip, but the last four starts. 29 innings pitched, two earned runs, .61 ERA, 34 strikeouts, eight walks. One of those starts was a really good eight-inning win against the Braves. The pitching was supposed to be solid. With Nola and Arietta at the top, Eflin, you thought, you know, that's not a bad one, two, three. Arietta though, 4.67 ERA, 1.46 whip. He has bone spurs. He might need season-ending surgery. They're going to try to pitch through it, but they don't know. Zach Eflin, 3.78 ERA, 1.3 whip. Okay, 
Their starters are 24th in ERA And they are 19th in strikeout to walk ratio They need more than that They need another starting pitcher Maybe two They they should be right in the market With everyone for the starting pitching Their offense is fine Even with Harper Harper's just been okay He's hitting 250 with 16 home runs and 62 RBIs He has not been one of the best players in baseball Like he's paid to be But you look at the rest of their lineup Even with the loss of McCutcheon Who's done for the year Hoskins, Realmuto, Segura, Hernandez, Kingery That's fine, they have a deep lineup They have 10 games left with Atlanta And 8 games left with Washington Still plenty of time for things to move In the NL East The Mets are 40 and 50 And You look at the Mets You just They have to be carried by their pitching and DeGrom's been fine, but not his best You know, he has a 3.07 ERA and a 1.09 whip The numbers are okay But he hasn't been as good as those numbers look Cindergaard has an over 4.6 ERA We've, Wheeler has a 4.6 ERA Jason Vargas has been a better pitcher than Cindergaard, Wheeler, and Mats And if you would have said that at the beginning of the season to Mets You would know that the Mets would be in some trouble They're supposed to be star closer they traded for 19 saves but a 5.5 ERA and a 1.46 whip Cano has been bad Now they're 7 games back in the NL The one thing that's a positive for them They have 12 games left with Miami Maybe they can beat up on Miami And get themselves back into at least a wild card race Have to mention a couple of their really good young players in Jeff McNeil Who's been hitting just a cover off the ball All throughout the season I think 349 is his batting average right now And Pete Alonso. Is third in the National League in wins above replacement With a 280 batting average, 30 home runs, 68 RBIs And a 372 on base percentage for your home run derby champ Congrats to Pete Alonzo Give a good, sh- a big shout out to my buddy Mike Abadir He called Pete Alonzo being a rookie of the year this year Nice call on that one, Mike Closing out the uh, NL East, it's Miami They're 33-55 and 55. But you know what? They're not as bad as some of the bad teams in the American League Even when you watch them they, they have a couple players in their lineup Like a Miguel Rojas and a Brian Anderson That are above average Miguel Rojas at 295 through 300 bats And then they're pitching I'm a really big fan of their pitching staff Caleb Smith is a legit starting pitcher Top of the line starting pitcher He has 88 strikeouts and 72 innings pitched A 3.5 ERA and a just over 1 whip 1.01 Sandy Alcantara Trevor Richards Solid pitching staff for a bad team so maybe maybe the pitching staff is what they can build around moving forward. Move on to the NL Central. This is the fun division. The most fun division in all of baseball. Because the entire division is separated by three games in the loss column. The Cubs are 47 and 43, and the Reds are 41 and 46. So three games in the loss column, total of five games right now separating that entire division. Start with the Cubs. The Cubs lineup and their offense With their offense They always have the ability to beat anyone To be in any game or to be in any series Or to be in any race Baez Bryant, Contreras Hayward's having a very nice year Rizzo, not even a a great Rizzo year And Schwarber's not having an amazing year But they are all over 14 home runs and 37 RBIs Can the offense carry them? Because their pitching Is just okay Their best pitcher, Cole Hamels, is out till August. So without Hamels, 
It's Quintana, Lester, Hendricks, and Darvish. Is that enough to help them for the next month? And even when Hamels comes back, is that going to be enough pitching-wise? Is he going to be 100% again and still have that sub-3 ERA? We saw that Craig Kimbrell, he's going to need a little time to get ready out of the bullpen. He's not going to be just automatic shut down Craig Kimbrell right away. This is a team that struggled a little bit in June. You know, they were just 16 and 19 since June the 1st. But the key for the Cubs coming up to start the second half, they play Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, San Diego, San Francisco. Four series that are very winnable. They could they could continue to build on the, the small lead they have in the division. And then they play Milwaukee, St. Louis, Milwaukee, back-to-back-to-back series. Huge. That'll be three series in a row that'll be massive. They have 10 games left with St. Louis, 13 left with Milwaukee, 12 left with Pitt, and 10 left with Cincinnati. So much can happen in this NL Central with these teams still having so many games left to play against each other. The Braves, they're, or the Braves, the Brewers are second in the division. They're 47 and 44. They're at a half game out of the division at the All Star break, and they're a half game back of the second wild card spot. Christian Yelich with an MVP type. First half, hitting 329, 31 home runs, 67 RBIs, 433 on base percentage, 100 hits in 82 games, 19 stolen bases. Moustakis has 25 home runs. Grandal has 19 home runs and a 372 on base percentage. But they need more. A, a, a baseball team that is built on their offense, they don't have a lot of pitching depth. They need more from Lorenzo Cain, Ryan Braun, Thames, Aguilar, Arcia, all having just... Down-ish years, not great years Or above-average years, or good years They're getting a good year from Brandon Woodruff Good pitcher who hits the hell hell out of the ball too He's fun to watch swing the bat And Zach Davies has been really good But if those are the top two They're not getting enough quality starts at all They need a lot more pitching depth Because it's Woodruff, it's Davies, it's Chassin, it's Chase Anderson They have zero margin for error with those starters And their bullpen is Hater The bullpen isn't like it was last year Remember it was Hater and Jeffries and Knable Having amazing years That is not what this bullpen is this year It is just Hater So you have a team that's offense is a little down Their pitching isn't as good And their bullpen isn't as deep Zero margin for error I, I'm not as high on the Brewers in the second half Getting into the playoffs As I am on a team like the Cardinals I mean Nobody on the Cardinals is playing well And they're still at 500 They're 44 and 44 They're two games back of the Cubs in the division They're two games back of The second wild card But they're behind Washington The Phillies, the Brewers, the Diamondbacks, and the Padres There's a lot of teams in front of the Cardinals But the Cardinals and the Brewers They still have 9 games left to play with each other Those Brewers still have 13 left to play With the Cubs The Cardinals have 10 left to play with the Cubs And the first 17 games to start the second half For the Cardinals Arizona, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati Teams they could beat Teams they should beat Nobody's having a great year for St. Louis They're, It's like It's crazy when an entire team Of solid players Can all be having down years simultaneously Goldschmidt Ozuna, Carpenter Molina like Ozuna and DeJong have been okay but Goldschmidt, Carpenter, Molina, all eh. Molina's their highest everyday player with a 261 batting average. Not one of their everyday players has a higher batting average than that. And now Molina's heading to the injured list for probably just a week or two. 
Carpenter is coming back now from a lower back strain. He's only hitting 216. So you expect, I predicted Paul Goldschmidt to be an MVP this year. He's been anything but that. If you get just a, a little bit more production from that combination, and then Miles Mikolas, he, he and Flaherty, I thought were legitimate Cy Young candidates. Mikolas with a 4.53 ERA and a 1.26 whip. Flaherty with a 4.64 ERA and a 1.23 whip. Dakota Hudson has a 3.5 ERA, but he gets crushed with a 1.53 whip. Then you have Wainwright and Waka. They have not been good. Jordan Hicks has to have Tommy John surgery. He's done for the year. They're going to gonna, they're gonna have to pull out the bullpen a little bit more. But the thing about St. Louis versus other teams, they have the talent in-house. It's just, can they produce these... These players just have to execute. Honestly. They have a 21% chance to make the playoffs. They're starting pitching. 83 starts from Miles Mikolas, Flaherty, Hudson, Wainwright, and Waka. And only 37 of those 83 have been quality starts. That's not going to win you very many ballgames. Not at all. Pittsburgh. Is 44 and 45. They are very much still in the mix. They have a 10% chance to make the playoffs. And right off the bat, they play three with the Cubs, three with St. Louis, three with Philly, and four with St. Louis. All teams that are right around where they are in the division or in the wild card race. They've had a legitimate MVP season, first half of the season from Josh Bell, 302 batting average with 27 home runs, 84 RBIs. Offensively, they've been a lot better than expected. They are first in the National League in team batting average, hitting 271. Starling Marte, Adam Frazier, Moran, Melky Cabrera, Newman, and Reynolds all hitting 279 or above on 220 ABs or above. My worry with the Pirates, though, is that some regression I feel like is going to come with that offense. They still have a lot of games against the, their. Division rivals, 12 total left with the Cubs, 13 total left with St. Louis, 6 left with Milwaukee. The pitching was supposed to be their strength, but Archer's at a 5.49 ERA and a 1.47 whip. Three quality starts and 15 starts. Italians only started seven games. Musgrove, Trevor Williams, Lyles have been underwhelming. I think they're going to regress a little bit. The team that I have a tough time with is the Reds. They're they're 41 and 46, and I still think there's more. They have a 9% chance to make the playoffs. They're only four and a half games out of the division, three back in the loss column. Still 10 games left with the Cubs, six games left with Milwaukee, and 12 left with St. Louis. Plenty of time to make a move. And they got horrible production from Puig and Votto to start the year. They had terrible starts, but both of them have really heated up. Puig is up to 257 with 20 home runs, 51 RBIs, and 13 stolen bases. And Votto is up to 268 with a 360 on base percentage. They have the second best ERA in the National League. This is a really good pitching staff. Led by Luis Castillo, 2.29 ERA, 1.08 whip, 124 strikeouts in 106 innings. Tanner Rourke with a mid-3 ERA and Sonny Gray, 103 strikeouts and 90 innings pitched. I would not be shocked to see the Reds go on a little run, win seven or eight games in a row, and put themselves right in the mix in the division and the wild card. I like the Reds better than I like the Brewers in the division. Maybe even more than I like the Cubs for the second half. I don't know if the Reds will be able to catch the Cubs. But I think the Reds have a little something here. Dodger fan, 
60 and 32, an incredible first half for the Dodgers. They have a 100% chance on Fangraphs to make the playoffs. They are 13 and a half games better in the division than the Arizona Diamondbacks. They have three All Star pitching starters Ryu with a 1.73 ERA and a .91 whip, 99 strikeouts and 10 walks. Ryu started the All Star game this year. Kershaw, 3.09 ERA, 1.05 whip. Bueller, 3.46 ERA, .99 whip, 113 strikeouts and 104 innings pitched. And then you look at Maeda, who has 94 strikeouts and 95 innings pitched. Maeda has a 3.76 ERA and a 1.06 whip. Hill is injured. He'll probably be back in September. But with the Dodgers' depth, they're able to have Urias and Stripling fill in and, and spot start from you know some minor leaguers. What do the Dodgers need? A bullpen arm. Maeda will likely move to the bullpen in the playoffs. Kenley's been fine, but not unhittable. Three, 3.19 ERA with a, a .93 whip, 23 saves, 48 strikeouts, 7 walks, 6 home runs. You know, you have Baez, who's become one of the best relievers in baseball with a 2.7 ERA and a .88 whip. If the Dodgers can make one move in the bullpen and go make go make just one new arm to add to this bullpen, and come playoff time, let's say Ryu, Kershaw, and Bueller are the starters, and they're going to start games one, two, and three. The Dodgers could have a bullpen with Kenley Jensen, Pedro Baez, Leo Urias, Ross Stripling, Kenta Maeda, and Rich Hill, plus one or two pieces that they add. Let's talk about Joe Kelly for a second. Joe Kelly, who has been abysmal, brutal, right? But Joe Kelly is coming to life. His last 17 games, 17.1 innings pitched, 11 hits, 11 walks, 24 strikeouts, just one home run, three earned runs total, and a 1.56 ERA, a 169 batting average against in the last 17 games for Joe Kelly. Offensively, offensively, the Dodgers have been really good. Cody Bellinger is first in the National League and wins above replacement. Max Muncy is fifth. And Alex Verdugo is 17th. He's a top 20 player in the National League. He's right behind Freddie Freeman and right in front of Rendon Verdugo. Bellinger's hitting 336 with 30 home runs, 71 RBIs, a 432 on base percentage, 8 stolen bases, 56 strikeouts, and 54 walks. Muncy, 266 batting average, but a 366 on base percentage with 22 home runs and 60 RBIs. Justin Turner's hitting 294. Verdugo's hitting 303 with 39 RBIs and only 29 strikeouts and 279 at bats. Jock has 20 home runs. When Corey Seeger got hurt, Chris Taylor stepped up. He's hitting 269 now with a 335 on base percentage. Seeger, Pollock, and Freeze all were injured, all making returns to start the second half. So now what does this do? That makes this Dodger team even deeper. And this team was a 60-win team in the first half with Kiki Hernandez having one of the worst batting averages of everyday players in the entire league. Now, Kiki still produces, but he wasn't hitting at a high clip. Another spot where the Dodgers could maybe make some improvement. Do they bring up Will Smith? They need to get a little bit better at the catcher spot offensively. They were not getting a lot from, uh, from Barnes and from Russell Martin. The Diamondbacks are 13 and a half games behind the Dodgers, but they're over 500. They're 46 and 45. They're right in the mix for a wild card. They're only a, a game and a half behind the second wild card spot. 
Been getting a really good year from Cattell Marte. He's hitting 311 with 20 home runs and 53 RBIs. Escobar is hitting 296 with 18 home runs and 67 RBIs. Christian Walker's hitting 17 home runs and 45 RBIs. They have a 16% chance to make the playoffs, and that's going to be key for them what happens in the next few weeks because are they a buyer or are they a seller? Zach Granke would be a great trade piece for some uh, any team that needs a pitching, another you know arm. Some pitching depth. But the Diamondbacks are right in the mix. How can they get rid of Granke? They just won three in a row. They have a plus 53 run differential. And they're one of nine National League teams that are separated by five games in the wild card spots. The Diamondbacks are going to play a lot of those teams. Three games with St. Louis, four with Milwaukee, three with Washington, three with Philly, six with Colorado coming up. The Diamondbacks, the Rockies, and the Padres, they're all right in the same boat. They're literally within a game, two games of each other. They're all right on the cusp where if they win four or five in a row, they're right there. But if they lose four or five in a row, they might be completely out of it. The Rockies at 44 and 45, they have just an 11% chance to make the playoffs. And you know what you're going to get with Colorado offensively, right? Arenado, Blackman, Story, Dahl, Desmond. I mean, Arenado's having another incredible year. He's hitting 312, 20 home runs and 67 RBIs. Blackman's hitting 330 with 20 home runs and 57 RBIs. Story's hitting 292 with 19 jacks. And then Dahl's hitting 300. Even Desmond and Murphy, they're giving you a little bit offensively. They're they're really streaky. You you like a little bit more from them. Pitching wise, John Gray's been good. Really good. 115 strikeouts in 108 innings pitched. And Herman Marquez has been, you know, a strikeout machine also with 127 strikeouts, but they've been getting nothing else from their starting pitching. Freeland's been awful. Will they make a move? They're not the type of team that usually does. They have to try to hit, you know, out hit you at Coors Field. And then another weird stat, their pitching's actually been fine on the road, but then their offense doesn't step up on the road. They just don't seem to come all together at the right time, the Rockies. They're 11% chance to make the playoffs, the uh, the Rockies, who are just right behind San Diego. The Padres are 45-45. and 45. They're only two games back in the wild card. Fernando Tatis Jr. hitting 327. 14 home runs, 33 RBIs, 13 stolen bases, and only 208 at-bats. And, you know, the Padres, they are, they're about a 500 team. You have Tatis, Machado, Reyes with 25 home runs, Renfro with 27, and then Manny's hitting uh, 266, but he has 20 home runs, 58 RBIs, and he's getting on base at a nice clip over 330. Their pitching at the top of the staff is pretty good with Chris Paddock and Joey Lachesi. They they feel like a 500 team because they're just a couple players away. They have a 13% chance to make the playoffs. They did end the first half on a high note, winning three in a row from the Dodgers. And you close things out with the Giants in the uh, in the National League West. They're forty one and forty eight. They just are not a good baseball team. They're old. You look at their staff. It's Samarja, Holland, Pomeranz, Rodriguez, and then Bumgarner. Bumgarner with one hundred and eleven innings pitched, one hundred and fifteen strikeouts, a four point oh three ERA and a one point two WHIP. Is he going to get traded? Do you imagine the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Braves? Or the Cubs adding someone like Bumgarner? He could be a huge 
acquisition. He could be the type of player that wins you a couple games in a series and wins you a World Series or any playoff series or even helps get you there. Will Smith could be a big back of the end rotate a back of the end of the bullpen guy for any team. 23 saves with a 1.98 ERA. There's a lot of teams out there that could use Will Smith or Madison Bumgarner and are the Giants going to to offer them both up one of the two who's up for grabs. Time for some racing. Let's get a couple racing weekend plays. This is a, a fun horse racing weekend. Del Mar is not opened up yet, but we have good races at Arlington, Saratoga, Indiana Grand, Delaware Park, and then even at Los Alamitos. Let's start with Los Al. It's the Los Al Derby. This is not a race to bet, but game winner, who was your Breeders' Cup juvenile winner in 2018, your two-year-old champ, He had a brutal trip in the Kentucky Derby And he actually ran really well He's going to be making his first start since the Derby Trying to use the Low Sal Derby as a prep Unfortunately, just a field of four Signed up This is a race that they barely were able to fill There's another bap It's a field of four It's a grade three $150,000 stakes race, grade three And only four could get in the field Two of them are Bafferts One of the horses in here is a Maiden and the other one is the Calbred, who's never run outside of the ranks, uh, outside the Calbred ranks. Not the strongest uh, Grade Three Los Alamitos Derby on Saturday over at Los Al. And then one more race that isn't really a race that I'm going to have any any wagers in, but it will be a fun race to keep an eye on and to watch. It's Delaware Park's big day with the Delaware Park handicap. So make sure to look. Starting in race four, they have some good stakes races there. I didn't really find anything that I loved. But it's it's a card that's worth playing, worth getting involved in. Look at race number the big race is the uh, the Delaware handicap, and that's that's the big one where we're gonna see Elate, Blue Prize, and Escape Claws, and that's race number eight, seven hundred fifty thousand dollar grade two. Some of the best older fillies and mares in training. Escape Claus, who was that really tough luck second in the Apple Blossom right behind Midnight Bisu. And then Blue Prize, who was fourth in the Breeders' Cup Distaff last year. Elate was only beaten twice this year by Midnight Bisu. And Elate has always had this huge reputation. So some quality animals in that eighth race at Delaware on Saturday. It is the Delaware Handicap. Okay, now let's get to some... Actual races that we want to play Let's make a few bucks here Arlington Get your past performances out Arlington, Saturday Let's get to race number 6 This is kind of a a swing Horse Because this is a horse I've been following for a while And I'm I'm, I just have You know how you expect you, you, You keep an eye on a horse You like a horse Something goes wrong But you just expect Something big out of certain horses Let's go to race number 6 at Arlington Park on Saturday It's the Modesty And let's go to Cas Kenueses Number 4 I remember when this horse came into the Pletcher Barn I was following her And I actually selected her in a fantasy horse racing league And then she had some physical issues Where she her debuts kept getting backed up Backed up And, and then she just did not run well She did not run well at Woodbine and she did not run well at Keeneland. She changed barns. And I, I was very interested when she showed back up at Churchill Downs 
she in her most recent start, that was actually her first start on the grass. It was a slow start, but she was traveling well in fifth. She was five off. She moved inside. She split horses. She came all the way up to challenge, and she took a big shot at the eventual winner, Stave. Stave won that race wire to wire. So I always like when a horse comes from off the pace. They launch a bit. They make a huge, huge rally, but the horse can kind of kick clear because they had a little more. If there was actual pace signed on, I think Caskin Westhead goes by. Now, that was just her first start. Since October of 2018, she has every right to take a big step forward. Stave, who won that race, came back to finish second next out at Ellis Park in a stakes race there. I think Caskin Wesse should be around 8 or 10 to 1. Anything over that, she's worthy of a nice little win wager. So, a few bucks on the four. Caskin Wesse in race number 6 at Arlington Park on Saturday. Let's go to Arlington Park race number 7 on Saturday. This is the Arlington Handicap. The number seven, The Great Day. That's where we're going to go. This is a multiple group one winner in Argentina who came over to the U.S. for the first time on June the 16th at Laurel Park. And you'll look and you'll say, okay, that was a stakes race, $100,000 stakes race. That wasn't the toughest race in the world. Well, uh, I disagree. The winner was a multiple stakes winner, multiple graded stakes winner, Dr. Mounty. The runner-up, Divisadero, multiple grade one winner. The third place finisher, Just Howard, is a graded stakes winner. That small stakes was way tougher than this field that the Great Day is facing. That was the first start off the bench from July of 2018 to June of 2016. So an 11th month layoff. Now the Great Day will go second start off an 11th month layoff. Second time U.S. Second time for a very good conditioner, Arnaud Delacour. A very patient barn who does well when they figure horses out. And overall, he's never run a bad race. In his 12 career starts, he's only been off the board twice. And last time out, he had legitimate trouble. He broke well. He sat third. He was too deep going into the turn. He was five off. He moved inside. He got stuck behind horses. And on the inside, he was trapped with nowhere to go. He had a lot of run. He just did not get to use that run. Pratt jumps aboard. Expect a big effort from the great day. A win wager on the seven, the great day in the seventh at Arlington. Anything over four to one, this horse should be given a nice win wager. Let's go to the eighth race. I don't think this is a horse that you can bet to win, but the number 11, Flying Scotsman. Maybe not a bet. Maybe maybe you single him if you're playing some exotics at Arlington Park. I'm probably not going to bet this horse to win unless he is three to one. This is a very, very nice animal. And there's a lot of buzz about how he's been training for his three-year-old debut. I'm expecting a huge effort. I think he absolutely towers over this field. So if you do want to play some late exotics, maybe we can play, you know, I have selections in the sixth and seventh. Maybe we hook him up with Flying Scotsman here in the eighth. So one more time, sixth race at Arlington, the number four. We'll bet that one to win and anything over 10 to one. The seventh race, the number seven. And then the eighth race, the number 11, Flying Scotsman. Maybe a single there in your exotics at Arlington. Let's move over to Saratoga. Just one race at Saratoga that we'll get to, and it is the the Diana. Let's go to race number nine at Saratoga on Saturday, the 13th. You have Rushing Fall, who we all know for Chad Brown. We have 
Sister Charlie, who we all know for Chad Brown. Home Rico, we know for Chad Brown. Now Mitchell Road is a speed horse who's stepping up and facing tougher for Mott. This is a small field. And the way that I, I see this race unfolding, right? I don't think the one has enough class or ability to really keep up with the best in here. So to me, the one is kind of out. I looks I like Rushing Fall. I like Mitchell Road. I think they are gonna be a big nuisance to each other. Both have speed. And it's going a mile and an eighth. This isn't going a mile. I don't think a mile and an eighth is where either of these are their, are going to be at their best. Legitimate speed ne- right next to each other with down to the inside. Tace, who also has speed with the blinkers on. I don't know if that one will push, but I do think Rushing Fall and Mitchell Road will push. And, I, and I'm expecting it to set up for a horse coming from well off the pace. That's why I think it's between one of the three outside Phillies and Mares. Sister Charlie, the no doubt about it class. Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf winner last year. No knocks on her. But as far as on the win end, maybe she's a step short because we haven't seen her since November. Maybe she needs a race or two just to be a little bit better. Homerique is fine. Nothing wrong with Homerique. I just don't feel like she's quite the top tier as some of the others. And I'm going to look for a new face. Let's go with secret messaging here. I like this filly. She's improving. She's maturing. At the age of four, her two starts at four have been very, very nice. Last time out, she was fourth, of, uh, actually was fifth to sixth, four lengths off, and then was kind of back to last on the inside at the top of the lane, waiting for an opening and ran down the four to five favorite who got a big jump. That's Starship Jubilee, who's a multiple graded stakes winner. Secret message is, is a now horse. In a small field And should get a great trip Let's put secret message On top Secret message is the play Anything over 6-1 to one, A win wager on the 5 secret message And let's hook up with some exactas with the 4 Sister Charlie I wouldn't talk you off using Homerique Also in some exactas We'll try to play against Rushing Fall and Mitchell Road In hopes that they, uh, they burn each other out Up front early on And it sets up for secret message And Sister Charlie off the pace. Couple plays at Indiana Grand to close out the uh, horse racing part of the show. Start with race number four in Indiana Grand, the Schaefer Memorial. The key to this race is the distance. And I love Thirst for Life right at around the mile. Thirst for Life was a big play for me on that May 4th. When he won at 13 to 1. And then I was cold on him last time out in the Stephen Foster against the tougher group. But that was also going a mile and an eighth. He's really good from a mile to a mile and a sixteenth. So this mile and seventy hits him right between the eyes. It's gonna be his third start off, a little bit of a layoff. Loves the trip. And he has a little more tactical speed now. He's starting to become a little bit more versatile. I'm expecting Pioneer Spirit to show speed. Flame away to show some speed, and I think it should set up very nicely for Thirst for Life. If we can get 7-2 to two on this one, we'll make a win wager on the number 7, Thirst for Life, in race number 4 at Indiana Grand. Let's get to race number 8, the Indiana Oaks, and then the Indiana Derby is race number 9. The Oaks, I like a price... Yeah, I'm guess like a middle, a middle tier price. The four Sundays at the beach. 
she hasn't done a whole lot wrong. You put a line through her grass race. Her other four starts have been very good. Always in the mix. Last time out, first start in a couple months, she's a step slow. She recovers nicely, though. She's fifth. She's three off. Keeps to the three path. Then four wide bid. And some bumping down the stretch. Wins the battle for second. Could never get to the pace setter. I don't think that'll be a problem in here today. With Kim K, with Shaq Lett, I don't think anyone's going to go lone speed on the front end. Blessed again has a little bit of pace. And I'm not really high on anyone else in here. Street band is fine. Wouldn't be a shock. But does anybody really scare you? No, I'll take a nice up-and-coming horse, a peaking horse who just had to face older last time out. Now back in with three-year-olds here. Sunday's at the beach. The number four. Five to one, anything over, anything five to one or over, we'll play a win wager on Sundays at the beach. And then to close things out, Indiana Grand, race number nine, the Indiana Derby. No play in here. Just want to give a mention to Mr. Money because he's been really, really good and he's becoming one of the best three-year-olds in training. So I just want to give a shout to him. If you play any exotics or anything, I think he's an absolute standout and hands down a class. He, to me, he seems like he towers over this field. So it's uh, it's Mr. Money for me in the Indiana Derby, but that's not a bet. That's just a, one of those races where I'll just be watching and and, uh, and rooting for him moving forward because he's the type of horse I would play. if he I'd play him, you know, a horse like him in the Travers or in the Haskell. And so in these lower-tier derbies, I think he really is a standout. Time for some big little thoughts. You ever want it? You ever want it? Great intro, huh? Okay, so we're two episodes back on Big Little Big Little Lies. Here are some big little thoughts. Episode four was She Knows. And we again, we start with a different flashback of that night that Perry died. This one's from Madeline's point of view. The women are all having a pumpkin carving contest with the kids, a party. All of the Monterey Five with the kids. Madeline's taking up smoking because she's stressed with... Ed and everything going on and Renata, they're out there talking Renata actually mentions cheating in front of Madeline, that that gets Madeline upset and she leaves and then Mary, Mary Louise shows up uninvited she awkwardly meets with Bonnie and gives her a weird look and then Mary Louise mentions to Jane that now she, she has a place in their building that's not weird Celeste does not like that w- one bit she tells Mary Louise that living so Close is just too much Mary Louise doesn't believe Jane was raped She wants to look more into it And then The slap heard around the world Celeste just slaps the crap Out of Mary Louise hard I wanted to smack her like that too And then boom Mary Louise comes right back With a slap of herself and Says what is that foreplay She knows how to really hit you With those Those little dagger Dagger words and phrases that are going to pierce you like a knife. Like a hot knife through butter. Madeline and Ed still having their problems. Ed asks why she lacks passion with them. And she says it's not with them, it's just with her. Bonnie's on the beach, she's deep in thought. We see Corey and Jane. Jane invites Corey to Amabella's disco party. The big disco party that everyone's talking about. This party is absurd. Mary Louise is now worried about the boys and Celeste. She says, you seem unwell. 
erratic to Celeste. Grief is meant to be shared. We start to find out some little tidbits about Mary Louise's past that Perry's father left her and that maybe she doesn't have it all together. Madeline mentions the couple's workshop to Ed. Kind of like a weird swingers couple workshop thing. Ed doesn't respond initially. And then Chloe, she has a school project and she just rips her mom. She comes over and tells her mom, well, here, mom, this is my project. It's a picture of you and we have to do opposites. So the opposite of you is this hinge because you are unhinged. You get it, mom? Yeah, you get it, mom? Yeah, Madeline's not not too pleased. She changes the project. I'm curious, though. What, what does Chloe do for her next project? We never get to see. Ed, Ed gets a kick out of the project, though. And, uh, he gets a good laugh at that. We see Renata and Gordon there at their bankruptcy hearing. They have to give up, sell everything. The wedding ring, the Rolex, the uh, elective surgeries, the Tesla. Renata is not happy about it as they have to get a ride home. They don't even get to drive their own car home. But she does get the wedding ring back. And then they have the the massive disco party for Amabella. Huge themed disco party. Everyone's in costumes. Insane costumes. I mean, we're talking costumes that look like they spent thousands of dollars on and hours and hours on. Jane brings Corey. And so the girls are all playing with her about him. And she says, be cool. Renata says, I'm never cool. Renata, you're cool in my book. Mary Louise meets with the lawyer in discussions about taking the kids from Celeste. And Bonnie can tell that Mary Louise suspects something. Bonnie and Celeste and Madeline, they're interacting and they're sort of blaming Bonnie and Celeste, sort of blaming Madeline for the lie. And Bonnie's mom is watching them and she knows something is up. Gordon and Renata discuss if, if Renata will ever forgive him. And she mentions it's not about him, it's about Amabella. But it doesn't, doesn't seem like she's ever going to forgive him. Bonnie's mom does not like the energy at the party. She can tell that something is wrong with Bonnie. She has zero boundaries, huh? Her and Mary Louise, they're a couple of delightful women. Not. Madeline and Ed interact. Ed doesn't want to pretend anymore. You know, and Ed and Nathan... They almost get into a fight. Nathan's trying to help him because he sees that Ed is upset. And they start to to scrap. Renata breaks it up before it gets too bad. Those Nathan and Ed interactions are just hilarious. Mary Louise files to take the boys away from Celeste. She tells Celeste, this isn't about me needing to be, or she says this isn't about me needing to be liked. And she files to take the boys away from Celeste. Ed and Bonnie become more and more chummy. We see them... Talking, laughing, joking, having lunch. Jane is having problems. Every time she's about to get intimate with Corey, it it gets awkward. So she has to tell Corey that she was raped. Uh, Just a touch from the hand from him is a trigger. As they're all leaving the party, Bonnie's mom has a stroke, a seizure, as they're leaving the party. And now she's in the hospital. Ed and Madeline are are talking. Madeline says, you know what, Ed, if you're going to... If you're just going to be this way, just leave me now. If you're going to leave, leave me now. He says, you know, I'm still here. But, but she said, no, you're not. You're, you're checked out. And Ed is kind of half in, half out. Bonnie's mom has some minimal breeding, uh, bleeding on her brain. And Bonnie's dad accuses Bonnie of, of being the one who causes the stroke. Mary Louise takes the, 
the grand boys to a place there where da- uh, where Perry used to take them to get pizza. Madeline flirting with Ed, trying to trying to get a little frisky in bed, and Ed shoots down the sexual advances from Madeline. And then everywhere we look, we see that detective popping up. The detective is at the hospital. She's always kind of creeping around. Bonnie snaps at her, but wrongly. She's not even at the hospital to spy on them. She's there for a different reason. Mary Louise comes back with the boys, and Celeste is hungover with a dude. She took Ambien, she's all hungover, and she has a man that walks out. So as Mary Louise is already getting ready to take the kids, this is only another reason why she wants to take the kids. She says, you're a mess, you're a mess, Celeste. They are at risk here. The boys should be with me. She gives Celeste a petition to take them. Mary Louise ended up winning, went out and got the better lawyer. She blocked Celeste from the opportunity to get other good lawyers. The detective, who's always everywhere, again, runs into Madeline and Renata, just kind of making her presence felt all over. Jane goes to see Mary Louise to stick up for Celeste, and now the women... They want to they wanna do their part to help stick up for Celeste. So Jane takes a shot first. And then Celeste goes to, to talk to her shrink, who suggests settling with Mary Louise might not be a bad idea. Celeste does not like that idea, obviously. Bonnie's mom starts to wake up in the hospital. And she has a vision of someone dead in the water. It looks like Bonnie. That's how episode four ends. Episode five is called Kill Me. And it begins with Jane's flashback vision of the night of Perry's death. We see Celeste and the women discussing their stories. And basically they're kind of setting up the aftermath of Perry's death. And then boom, ends. Ed and Nathan have an interaction in the park. Another one of these great interactions. They're running by each other. Nathan tries to say sorry and Ed just says no. You know what? We just don't have to like each other. We don't have to pretend that we are going to like each other. Let's just not like each other. Celeste and Mary Louise are with their lawyers. They're having a pre-meeting before the hearing. Mary Louise tries to get ahead and start to play mind games with the lawyers uh, with and, and with the judge. And Celeste's lawyers literally does nothing. Celeste is very upset about this as Mary Louise tries to... She tries to be clever at all times. Tries to be cute. Ed and Madeline go to that Healing Institute hippie place. The She's singing to him on the way. You make me feel. You make me feel. You make me feel. Just, just kind of like that too. Not great singing. Not, not the greatest from old Reese. Ed is not loving it. But he does seem to be kind of half trying. Renata... Meets up with Celeste and she tells Celeste she wants to talk to Mary Louise. Now she wants to try and fix it. We saw Jane try to do the same before. Now Mary Louise wants to do that. Renata is being taken out of the women in power piece because of the bankruptcy now. So she is furious. Her life's changing and this that she's been wanting forever. Now she's not in that piece. This is the episode when I absolutely start to love Celeste's kids, Max and Josh. Never really liked them much until this episode, but wow, they go hard with them this episode. There's a kid at school that's picking on Ziggy, and the kid says to Ziggy that he is a mistake and that his dad that his dad is a rapist. Max and Josh come running over, and it is a three-on-one 
absolute beatdown of the school bully. They stick up for Ziggy. They come. Oh, it is awesome. It is great. Love seeing it. Then all four of the boys get suspended from school. Ziggy ends up telling his mom what the boys said. She t- he tells Jane. And so she's not really hard on him. And we see Bonnie taking care of her mom at the hospital. And Bonnie's starting to get these flashbacks of when she was young. We, we see that her mom hit her a lot and was very physical with her. Her mom had alcohol problems. Madeline and Ed are at this weird, that weird healing institute. They don't seem to stay very long because they're on they're driving on their way home in the next scene after a really weird where everyone's being very huggy moment. Madeline says, You're a really good man, Ed. You're a good husband and you're a good father. And he says that's that's why he was chosen all along. I was chosen to be the father, the provider, not the lover, not someone that you were passionate about. But Ed had made peace with it a while ago. He understood that's what his role was until Madeline went and cheated on him. And now he has to either, quote, walk out with his dignity or stay with a woman that he cannot trust. She wants to let him know that she can always, he can always trust that she will love him and she can trust, uh, he can trust that. All I really want is to be happily married to you. Is what Madeline says to Ed Next up Renata has Mary Louise Over for tea to discuss Celeste And Mary Louise she understands What this is and instead of letting it happen She tries to ninja Renata's Brain and flip it around What happened to your furniture And then she starts taking a shot at Renata Wow it must be So hard for a woman who Worked all their lives And now has nothing to show for it All those missed Moments with your kid And you could tell that this hits Renata Quite a bit Because she's lost it all She's lost everything She's been a working mom She sac- made all those sacrifices now for nothing that's what, that's what Mary Louise says One of the boys Snaps at Celeste Calls her a bitch But quickly they resolve their issue And she tells them that their grandma Mary Louise wants to take them away from her They don't want to live with Mary Louise And we start to see the boys now Becoming, in this episode They really look like they're becoming little men Because they go stick up for Ziggy And then the things that they say to their mom Just to try to make her feel better Are really sweet, really nice Bonnie Is teaching Singing for sleep apnea She teaches a class Her dad comes in and talks to her He wants to move her mom to a different hospital Bonnie gets a little bit upset with him as she's obviously still working out issues from their youth Where she feels like her dad didn't protect her very much From her mom who was physical and, and abusive of her Mary Louise then offers Celeste joint custody Celeste would need to get treatment for drug and alcohol She snaps, she does not want anything to do with that She doesn't want anyone taking her kids away Her lawyer actually likes the offer Mainly because Celeste isn't thinking about one thing If they go to court and she has to testify Everything is on the table All of the details about Perry's death And all of the women All of her friends Are fair game to be called as witnesses This is going to be A guardianship hearing And everything Is allowed They have to answer all questions Under oath about everything The women Once Celeste figures this out She sends a a message the old bat signal And then the ladies all gather They discuss Ziggy ends up telling Jane He likes Corey 
And he asks if he's going to grow up to be like his father, who is a rapist. She says, no, no, not at all. And Ziggy and Jane are starting to have some really good moments. The I like the, the mother-son moments that she has to be real with him. Now he's starting to get a little bit older and he's starting to get to the point where he hears things and she can't just act like it, it, it didn't ever happen. Women are trying to figure out what they're going to do. They end up sticking, figuring they're going to stick to their story. Bonnie goes home and she has a treadmill waiting for her from Nathan. That was their present. And then a book, Born to Run. He's trying to give her some space, but also help her in the process. Bonnie's dad and, uh, talks to Bonnie and says he was trying to help her the best that he could to make the rage go away from Bonnie's mom. And he says that Bonnie's mom started to mumble, you're drowning. So now Bonnie's dad is worried about Bonnie. Celeste has to prep the boys for their meeting with the doctors regarding Celeste's ability to be a fit mom. And the boys ask if they should say they don't like their grandma. We can protect you. We can say whatever you want us to say. I love these boys. Love them. Could tell that what Mary Louise said hit Ramana at home because she takes Amabella out of school for a day. They have a mother-daughter swim day. Madeline and Mary Louise have another little interaction getting some ice cream in Sierra Madre. Shout out Sierra Madre. LaSalle High School right down the street where I went. Ziggy, Max, and Josh are canoeing with Celeste, Jane, and Corey. It's fun. They're all out having a good time. But right before they're having a good time, Jane and Corey are having some alone time together. And as soon as they start to get intimate, Jane seems like she's really going for it. She just gets uncomfortable. And then she starts to cry. She is not ready. Bonnie's mom is in the hospital. Bonnie tells her mom to stop worrying. And Bonnie's mom responds, kill me. Kill me. Ed goes to the bar and Tori shows up. Tori is the wife of the man who... Slept with Madeline. This is so soapy. It is incredible, right? This is so soap opera-y, and I absolutely love it. So, that's the wife of the man that Madeline had an affair with. And she is looking ready to pounce. Her husband's in the back, all dark and dim. It's weird. What's going on? But Tori's flirting with Ed. She's buying him a drink. Ed seems to be enjoying it, laughing it. The last thing we see is Bonnie going to the police station and then she sees Corey leaving the police station. So moving forward, Corey, why was he at the police station? And did he see Bonnie when he came out of the police station or did did Bonnie just see him and now she's gone? Does Bonnie go in or does she just see Corey and leave? The guardianship hearing for the boys. Who testifies? What happens? What is the boys interview like? Do all five women have to testify? What happens with Ed and with Tori? And Bonnie's mom's recovery. There's a lot going on now. Spicy. Big Little Lies. That's your Big Little Thoughts. We'll recap episode six next week. Final segment of the show. It's a big wrestling weekend coming up. There are three fun shows that I wanted to talk a little bit about. First, another free show you can watch for All Elite Wrestling It's called Fight for the Fallen, and you can watch that show on Bleacher Report BR Live. It's free to watch. 7.30 Eastern is the pre-show. 7.30 Eastern time, and the show starts at 8.15 Eastern, 5.15 Pacific time. Couple pre-show matches. 
Sonny Kiss versus Peter Avalon with Leva Bates. Peter Avalon, I've announced him many times. And Britt Baker and Riho versus Bea Priestley and uh, Shoko Nakajima. Then the main show. There will be a Chris Jericho appearance. Remember, Jericho is going to be fighting in one of their next pay-per-views for the AEW Championship against Hangman Page. The Lucha Bros versus SCU. Penta and Phoenix versus Kazarian and Scorpio Sky. The Dark Order versus Angelico and Jack Evans versus Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus have become very, very fun. Jimmy Havoc, Darby Allen, and Joey Janela versus MJF, Sammy Guevara, and Sean Spears. That'll be a, a really good six-man tag. And then the two main events, Kenny Omega versus Shima, and Cody and Dustin versus the Young Bucks. Cody Rhodes and Dustin Rhodes, Gold Dust versus the Young Bucks. Cody and Dustin had that awesome match just a couple months back, and now they team up against the Young Bucks. That should be a crazy Main event, I'm, I'm imagining that's going to be the main event And the crowd will be really, really hot for that one You can watch that show for free And while you're watching that one for free You can watch the the show The Evolve show Evolve 10th anniversary card That is going to be broadcast on the WWE Network So if you have the WWE Network You're going to be, be screen to screen in That's one on the network One on your computer, on your app Back and forth, double screens Josh Briggs, Anthony Green, Kurt Stallion, Sean Maluda, Stephen Wolf, and Harlem Rivado, Baba Tunde, Colby Carino, uh, Blackheart Lauren, Anthony Henry versus Arturo Ruas, and then the top matches are going to be really good. Matt Riddle, Drew Gulak, Evolve Tag Team Championship, Air Fox and Ruff versus Kingston Gacy. Austin Theory versus J.D. Drake for the Evolve Championship, WWN Championship, it's a winner-take-all, and then the NXT Championship match with Adam Cole versus Akira Tozawa. That should be a fun, really good wrestling card. And then for, you know, your entertainment, you move on over on Sunday to WWE Extreme Rules, The Revival versus The Usos, so you have two of the best tag teams on the planet, if this match gets 15 or 20 minutes, it could be incredible and absolutely steal the show. Wilder and Dawson versus the Usos. Strowman and Lashley have started to pick things up with in their with their intensity. They had a good start to Raw a couple weeks ago when they went through the set and everything crashed and burned all around them. But it feels like they've been going at it for a while. We need Braun Strowman moving forward up up. Up, Ricochet AJ Styles This has to be the the match of the night Please give this match 25-30 minutes This a, Ricochet is AJ Styles 15 years ago We're going to see Aleister Black Really with his first singles main event match And who better than someone like Cesaro Predicting The Usos win the, the tag match Predicting Strowman wins Predicting Ricochet holds on to the title has to be Aleister Black in his first match against Cesaro. Daniel Bryan and Rowan versus the New Day versus Heavy Machinery. Maybe it is time for Heavy Machinery to get a little run. They've been doing some good work. Otis is over. I'm picking Heavy Machinery. Drew Gulak versus Tony Nice. Got to stay with Gulak for a little while. Got to give him a, a chance to run. Bailey versus Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. It feels like 
Sasha's got to come here, right? And help Bailey out. Sasha has to show up with the two on one at some point. So I think I think Bailey holds on to the title. Maybe some kind of a, a DQ or a beatdown Alexa and Nikki Cross or two on one, and then here comes Sasha. Kofi Kingston, Samoa Joe. I hate that Samoa Joe had to lose, 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 and then get thrown into a WWE title match because Samoa Joe just deserves to be a top heel in the main event at all the times. It might be time for Joe. I don't like the build because he should have been, he shouldn't be losing the last couple months. He shouldn't have just lost and then bumps up and he's facing Kofi. And then your two tag team main event matches. The Undertaker and Roman Reigns versus Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre. Didn't really like what they did on Raw uh, the other night with the janitor mask angle. They have a surprise tag team partner. And they, they did everything backwards. It was bass backwards, is what it was. Nonetheless, I, I can't imagine The Undertaker and Roman Reigns losing this match. And then Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch versus Baron Corbin and Lacey. The man's man. Seth Rollins. Been neutered a little bit as of late. This is a tag match where whoever wins, winner take all. So if Lacey Evan wins, Baron Corbin is your universal champ. Can't see it. But man, you talk about some heat. If Lacey Evans won and Baron Corbin became the champ and didn't even have to pin Seth Rollins to do so. This weekend, Saturday and Sunday, lots of wrestling action. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said. Make sure to get on over to iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud. Subscribe. But those iTunes five-star rating and reviews, those are huge. If you can stamp one, I will love you forever. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend. Joey, my friend, all you.